0: This is
1: all a test. This is all a test. This is only a test. Voluntary cooperation. Hello. Welcome back to the cover-up. Um, I'm here with David Radke. Hello. Hello. Good this hey. And uh, this is part, I believe it's part four of... Of an indefinite number, perhaps, of, of episodes that are related to our uh, spicy, saucy... Saucer. Summer, summer of saucers. Yeah, flap. And flappery.
0: Well, it's certainly part two of the Area 51. Yes. And we are on, what, four or five saucer-related Total, yeah. um, conspiracy theory episodes.
2: And you know what I just realized is that you guys let me do the intro to the last one. And I totally forgot to say who we were. I'd or realize that as I was saying it too, yeah. I was too excited to talk That's about okay. airplanes. <laughs> you
1: just wanted to <laughs> we'll get to, to the to airplanes. We'll have to edit that in. Yeah. yeah.
2: But yes, we are Nathan Radke, Lee Kuma, and Elena Papianis.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, we are.
2: And we were in the last one too. Yeah, okay. All right, so what are we doing today?
0: Elena, what happened?
1: Oh yeah, so um, we've been talking about Area 51, some of the mythology around it, the history behind it, um, the, the development of these covert... Um, very advanced kind of flight technology and again Nathan was able to talk about all the planes that he loves to talk about at
2: great length um, I, there was uh, some things I didn't even mention like the fact that in the early <laughs> versions of their suits there was no way to eliminate liquid waste
1: oh really yeah wow
2: and so they had to start catheterizing the pilots no yes well
0: you gotta th- well, how yeah. long are these flights like what? they gotta be like 48 hour flights or sometimes, something. sometimes yeah right or with really a ca- long with flight. a catheter in you aye,
1: aye, wow aye, aye, aye okay wow uh, <laughs> yeah wait how
0: did that end up being i don't know recap?
1: i think he just <laughs> regretted not including it in the last one right so, so re- this is right. right. <laughs> the first thing on his mind this time mm-hmm. um we talked about bob lazar as one of the big figures in you know blowing the story open or uh, you know putting the spotlight on mm-hmm. area 51 as this secret place that people did not talk about before did not know about before so it really put it on the map in terms of well, really, international conversation about this this secret place and what what was going on there.
0: Yeah, and I think we left people hanging, didn't we? Yeah, I want
2: to return to when Elena and I went to a UFO conference mm-hmm. for MUFON. Okay. Uh, which is an organization that actually we have a lot of respect for and that we uh, we like them.
0: MUFON is the Mutual yeah. UFO Network. Yeah. Okay. And
2: they do good work, and they're genuinely trying to use scientific principles to figure out what ufos are in the sky but there's a lot of weird mythology that's associated with ufos and when elena when you and i were at that like what are some of the stories that we heard at that conference
1: oh well there was one man in particular who i he used to be a musician um, and he told a few different stories that really embody or really take pull pieces out of this you know the the grander ufo mythology and those kinds of alien stories so one story he told was that he was on an airplane and he was you know he looked out his window and saw something flying and he asked the flight the flight attendant about it and she said oh well, I'll, I'll look into it I'll, I'll find out what it is and then you know a while later she's walking past and not looking at him and then he's like oh you know did you find out what that was and she's like what what was you know, dun, dun, dun. Like, like nothing to see here. I don't mm. know what you're talking about. You know, just denied, denied that they had had that conversation. Uh, another story he told was even was this was like, this was a, a problem. So, and again, he was on a plane and he said he's with his son or something, or maybe daughter. I can't remember a small child. And there was someone sitting on the other side of his child. And he's like, you know, I didn't pay very much attention to him. But then he asked me if I knew what Foo Fighters were suddenly. And I said, well, yes. And and then he said, I said it. Then I noticed he had his left hand on his left leg. and, And his fingers were like unusually long, like eight or ten inches long. And then I looked at his face and then I passed out. And then he says, he claims that, you know, he woke up and then, later discovered that he had been implanted with some like something in his brain, and he, th- he believes that that's when it happened.
2: So this is all like classic UFO mythology mm-hmm. stuff, right? Uh, alien infiltration, implants, uh, human-alien hybrids, like a secret war that's going on in the skies between mm-hmm. the aliens and the humans and has been going back for decades. That's all classic UFO mythology. In the last episode, we talked about how some people may have mistaken the genuinely weird stuff that was happening at Area 51 with the incredibly futuristic and bizarre airplanes. We can see how somebody could make the legitimate mistake Mm -hmm. and think that maybe these were extraterrestrial in origin. Well, today we're going to talk about something else. Today we're going to talk about something way more sinister than that. We're going to look at the possibility that some of these stories that are in pop culture and things like the X-Files, the stories that Elena and I were hearing at this conference, what if they originate not as something that's being covered up by the government, but what if these stories are coming from the government?
0: That's, that's a really compelling thought that it's in fact, the alien conspiracy theories are generated by the government, which is in the alien conspiracy narrative, the one that's actually preventing us from getting to the truth. That's what that's and the it, claim here. Yeah. I
2: mean, that sounds bizarre, it sounds yeah. convoluted. And so, why would that happen? In order to understand why, we need to look at what happened to one guy. We need to understand what happened to a man named Paul Benowitz. Mm-hmm. And I think his story will help illuminate this idea and also maybe give us the origin of the stories that we're so familiar with from movies and TV and also just from UFO lore in general.
0: Yeah. And I, just as you begin that, I want to say that it also, I find humanizes a lot of the alien abduction stories as well, because I find it's easy to dismiss certain stories as being just too ridiculous, unbelievable. How could you possibly fall for it? That kind of stuff. And I I just keep coming back to the sense that people genuinely are smart <laughs> yeah. are basing their what's happening on experiences that they've had and this is the best that they can make sense of it and I, yeah again so I won't I won't delay it any longer but the story of Paul Benowitz is really quite sad.
2: Well, I I agree with what Leah's saying. I mean, we've all talked to people who claim to have had alien abduction experiences and I don't know about you guys, but I believe those people. I don't think they're lying.
0: Yeah, uh, that is yeah, to like say, they
1: believe what they are saying. Yeah. Right. Right. Right.
0: So we don't believe that
1: necessarily they were abducted. the story, right? But we believe there that they are genuinely that they're genuine in their belief.
2: Right. Yeah, and that they experienced something terrible. Mm. I think probably we'll have an episode on alien abductions at some point.
0: I, I think it's got to happen. Yeah. So what happens to Paul Benowitz? Okay,
2: so Paul Benowitz is a successful businessman. He runs a company called Thunder Scientific. They're an electronics company. He's an engineer, sort of a clever guy. And in 1979, he lives near an Air Force base in Albuquerque uh, called Kirkland Air Force Base. He starts to see in the sky at night some pretty strange things. Uh, he's an engineer. He has an interest in uh, aircraft. And so he's pretty familiar with what the American government should have. And what he sees are craft that don't look like anything that he recognizes, moving in a way that he doesn't think should be possible. So he starts to pay more and more attention to this. He starts to record some of it. And also because he is a very good engineer, he starts to uh, set up some equipment so that he can maybe scan for signals that are coming from these crafts. And he is actually successful and he starts to pick up some signals from from these weird crafts. Now, Benowitz is a patriot. He's flying an American flag out in front of his house. He cares about his country. He wants to protect his country. And so what he does is he calls the Kirkland Air Force Base and says, listen, there's something weird flying Mm -hmm. around in the sky. When he plays for them some of the tapes that he's made and describes some of the things that he's seen, they send somebody over to talk to him to get information from him. And the person that they send over is a guy called Special Agent Richard Doty. Now, in UFO circles, this guy is infamous because he's sort of patient zero, uh, Richard Doty, of the disinformation campaign that I think was waged against the UFO community. People like the good people at MUFON, they were were basically lied to by people like Doty. So this is how this works. Doty interviews Benowitz and realizes very quickly that what Benowitz has stumbled across are some very top-secret programs. Now, at this point in the 1970s, it isn't the U-2 or the A-12 or the SR-71. Now it is things like the F-117 stealth aircraft, or, of course, drone technology, right. which is why these things were moving in such a strange way, because drones without pilots in them can fly a lot differently than a manned mm-hmm. aircraft. But in the 1980s, Of course, drone technology was in its infancy, and it was absolutely top-level secret stuff. And when Doty listens to the recordings, he realizes that Benowitz has been successful in actually picking up some top-secret signals that he shouldn't have had access to. So at this point, what do you do with this guy? As the
0: the United States government, right? That's the question. What do you do with this guy who's figured it out?
2: Yeah, this guy has figured it out. It's hard to hide something in the sky. At this point... I think it's, it's sort of useful to go back in time very briefly to talk about another airplane.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm having the best summer! <laughs> All right. World War II, the Bell P-59 era Comet. America's first jet fighter. How do you test this thing oh, yeah, in the that's sky? A good that's, yeah. How do you test it in the sky? Like, you can test it on the ground, the engine and stuff, but at some point you got to fly this thing. Right. How do you fly this thing without anybody noticing? There's going to be other pilots in the sky who are training in conventional airplanes. They're going to see this weird thing with no propeller on it flying around, and they're going to start talking about it. Rumors are going to circulate. Next thing you know... Maybe spies show up. Maybe saboteurs show up.
0: That's right. Maybe the there's spies and saboteurs in the bars where you're talking about this thing that you just saw, right? Exactly. Is this when they
1: put the monkey mask on?
2: This
0: is when they put the monkey mask on. Yeah. But they put the monkey mask on after trying all kinds of stuff like sticking on a fake propeller. Fake which propellers. nobody.
2: And, right. Yeah, trying to get away from other pilots, but they couldn't because the belt, belt B-59 Air Comet was a lousy plane. So, yes. So, as Elena says... Yeah, well, they so they do.
1: put, like, a chimpanzee mask or something on on the pilot who's flying it so that if there's someone who sees them, they're, they don't even want to tell anyone because the story is so bizarre. They know no one will believe them.
0: I think it's, you're, you're absolutely right. And I work this out a little bit. Like, let's say you're a pilot. Now, that's a hard job, I think, to get. Mm-hmm. And you're probably quite happy to have it. Now, I, I, I don't know. If, if, if I was the base commander... And the a pilot just came down and said, commander, I got to talk to you. While I was flying up there, a uh, cigar smoking monkey yeah. like flew past me. Waved. Uh, yeah, waved at me because yeah. this is exactly what this pilot was instructed to do. I would have to say, look, I'm sorry, you're grounded yeah. for the, for the foreseeable future until something. I can yeah. sort this out. Right. Yeah. A psych test and maybe you get sent away. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Like there's this self-censorship then that starts where I'm not going to tell people this. I'm not going to tell people that I saw.
1: And you probably second guess yourself. What was I just hallucinating? Maybe I didn't have enough oxygen. Maybe who knows what was like what was happening physically.
2: This brings up an interesting question. This is something Lee and I were actually discussing uh, before we started recording today. How easy do you think it would be to to be convinced that uh, you were insane?
1: Oh, it wouldn't take, I don't think it would take very much. You just need a few, like a few things planted around you. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on the situation, but like, I don't think it would take very much for someone to make you believe that.
2: No, I mean, for me, it was 45 minutes sitting in a, in a mental health ward Mm -hmm. yesterday uh I wasn't there for myself I was there waiting for somebody else but because I was sitting there for 45 minutes by myself at some point I started entertaining the idea mm-hmm. maybe I am here maybe I am a patient here right. and I'm and I'm confused and disoriented our, our psychologies are very fragile things
0: and I think very much Uh, Cue to what's to our context and what's going on around us and what other people are telling us right Mm -hmm. like totally and Especially people in authority So I think we've just circled right back to Paul Benowitz who is has just alerted the Authorities being the military that he's discovered something
2: so Richard Doty being a uh, special agent realizes okay I think I know how to keep Benowitz from talking about these top secret things that he's seen. And what he does is he tells Benowitz, you know what this is? This is the beginning of an alien invasion. I want you to keep an eye on the sky. I want you to continue trying to scan for uh, like as much information as you can and report it directly to us and don't tell anybody else about it. And so Benowitz being like a, a patriotic guy and a guy who already sort of has an interest in this kind of thing.
0: He and dives dis- in. Who's, who's, who's stumbled upon something truly inexplicable. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like this is just some dude and, and you know, some, some cynical agent says, Hey, where well, there's an alien invasion coming. This is a guy who is technically sophisticated, employing some rational principles and methods in order to try and investigate what's happening. And then brings, Something to authorities who should know, who then confirm mm-hmm. not only that he's seen something, but let him in on this big secret. And I then mean.
1: freak him right out with the explanation for it.
0: Yeah. All of the stuff
2: that I've said so far, I'm very confident in. I've I've come across a bunch of redacted, like the way we always do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've looked for Freedom of Information Act stuff on Doty. I know that Doty was a special agent. I know he was assi- assigned to Benowitz. We know what happened to Benowitz. This stuff is all like not controversial. But I'm going to move into a slightly more controversial area here because I'm not as certain about this, but it does seem possible. It seemed like the government agencies who were in charge of this project started to expand their interest. They, they started with the idea, let's keep Benowitz quiet, but then it seems to have turned into a, almost an experiment to see how populations could be manipulated. Hmm. Because what happens is Doty realizes that he's not the only agency who has an interest in Benowitz, to the point that Benowitz starts telling Doty, listen, I think there's people across the street. I think they're, I think they're like, broadcasting stuff at me. I think that they're paying attention to me. I think they're bugging me. And Doty thinks, oh, this is great. He's gone completely paranoid. Mm-hmm. Right. But then realizes, no, wait, the NSA is actually across the street. The NSA is... Is broadcasting messages at Benowitz's house, just garbled nonsense. But, and this is something we've talked about a lot before, when people are in a state of feeling out of control, when people are in a state of feeling in danger, our patternicity kicks in. Mm-hmm. And so, what, what Benowitz is able to do is take these garbled messages and, in them, see more evidence that there is an imminent alien invasion.
1: Hmm. Oh, this poor man.
2: Uh, And so then it gets even worse. Around the time this is happening, a rumor starts... uh, So this is the early 1980s. A rumor starts about a secret base in the area called uh, Dulce Base, which is a secret underground base filled with aliens and that there's genetic manipulation going on and there are people being kidnapped and there's cattle mutilations. All of these classic UFO mythology things. What seems to have happened is that there was a secret military installation there. They were doing some interesting experiments, but all of this smoke starts to come up to cover up to make people like a it's it's like a gorilla mask. Mm-hmm. Right? They're, they've put a gorilla mask on this entire base mm-hmm. so that anybody who starts to talk about it immediately becomes discredited. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens to Benowitz; mm-hmm. he becomes so convinced. Doty has argued, and Doty is not a very reliable person because, by his nature, he was working as a special agent doing disinformation. But Doty has made the argument that him and Paul uh, Benowitz would go camping together as part of this project, and that Doty himself would start to see things in the sky and be like, wait, no, wait, what is that? Right, sure. I'm, he, like he said that he almost started to become convinced by the stories that he was making up. So Benowitz got to the point where he started flying over the area. And one point when he was flying over the area, he came across a crashed aircraft. Now, the Air Force, because, of course, he took the pictures of the Air Force, the Air Force recognized it as a top-secret unmanned drone that had crashed. And so they told Benowitz, that's a, that's a UFO we shot down. Mm. That was an alien UFO we shot down as a warning to the other mm-hmm. aliens. Mm. At this point, Benowitz starts to talk to the UFO community, to places like MUFON. All of these stories start to spread. Here is the strategy, and in a way, it's genius. It's absolute genius. Because when you mix disinformation with accurate information, Mm -hmm. it can do two things. To somebody like Benowitz, the accurate information backs up the disinformation that he's hearing, so he believes the disinformation. Mm -hmm. But to anybody that Benowitz talks to, the disinformation, which seems so ridiculous, Mm -hmm. will discredit the accurate info. Totally. And you've been able to hide the accurate info in a gorilla mask. Yeah. At this point, Doty claims that he's worried about Benowitz, that he's become friends with him, and that he's genuinely concerned about his sanity, because this is a guy who has become convinced that an imminent alien invasion is about to happen. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you, uh, Elena, if you thought that, if you thought that aliens were going to invade, what happens to your life?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that would be the number one thing you're concerned about. And um, another thing I was going to say about that, he feels like responsible for this. Like he's got to track it. He's got to find stuff. He's got to find evidence of it, report it back. Like Mm -hmm. he really feels obligated and responsible in this situation, too, which, yeah, it would just take over your life completely. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. So your family falls apart. Yeah. His job falls apart. You can't focus
1: p- on anything but that, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, because that would, as you say, that would literally be the most important thing. Nothing else would be yeah. important at that point if aliens were about to attack you. And so, predictably and sadly, where do you think Benowitz eventually ends up? As an institution? The, in an institution. an institution. He eventually ends up in a psychiatric institution. Uh, he becomes convinced, Benowitz becomes convinced that he's under the mind control of aliens. And at this point, his psyche has been broken mm-hmm. and he can't come back. No. So you have to say that was an extremely successful operation.
0: Yeah, and if you think if now you had started us off um, reminding us maybe that this was actually not an Area 51 exactly related, well, but certainly very come, similar. Exactly, It didn't come out of Area 51. But what I'm the connection here is that I think this serves so this worked so well in this case, but I'm sure this is going on all the time because you have to hide these things every day every day there's going to be people who see stuff some of them are going to not just see stuff get suspicious start thinking about it a small section of those are going to start researching it a small section of those are going to maybe alert the, their military commanders nearby and so this kind of disinformation operation I'm sure was not just a one-off oh no I, was, I
2: guarantee you it was not a one-off right
0: and so this is part and parcel of I think the whole phenomena of UFOs in our culture was really to some extent to cover up secret operations that were thought to be necessary in order to keep the United States safe in a time of intense danger, you know, verging on the end of the world. This seems like a story that a lot of people could tell themselves in good faith, like the people doing the disinformation. We're doing what's necessary here. Yeah, some people like Paul Benowitz will... Have their lives ruined, but it's for the greater cause of world peace or whatever. And then just fuels this story, this mythology, which is actually rooted in direct experiences people are having. Wow, that plane or that triangle is way too high and way too fast for anything that I've ever heard of. Right, and yeah. so and then
2: authorities come by, and you trust authority. Yeah, I mean, if Benowitz hadn't been a patriot, this wouldn't have worked on him because he wouldn't have believed the special yeah, agent. That's true. Yeah. So they were using his patriotism against him. Another aspect of this, I, I said, I guarantee you that that wasn't a one-off. Well, this is where we return to uh, Alan and I going to that that conference and listening to the well-meaning, intelligent people at MUFON, because part of what Doty did was a deliberate attack on MUFON. At the time, uh, there was a guy called uh, Bill Moore and he was one of the head guys at at MUFON. He was very influential. Uh, he had written books on uh, the Philadelphia Experiment. He had written books on Roswell, which is going to be important. He had written books on the Majestic 12 documents, which are things that we haven't gotten into yet, but I think we probably will later. Well, at a 1989 conference, Moore stood in front of everybody and stated that he had contributed to the disinformation activities against Benowitz hmm. that he had been working with Doty in return for government information. And he felt terrible about this because of what happened to Benowitz at this point. And so Moore stood in front of his fellow MUFON people. And he said, listen, I've been part of this. I've been part of this disinformation campaign. The reason he said he did it was he said that Doty had promised him if he spread some lies in the UFO community, that Doty would give him the real goods on the actual UFOs. Mm. And of course, not a really trustworthy guy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Moore was just given more levels. There's so many levels of lies here. I
1: mean, 1989 was the same year that Bob Lazar did his interviews. Exactly.
2: Which is, at the very least, a very interesting coincidence. Mm -hmm. But listen to this. Here's a quote from Moore. This is what he said uh, right before people in the conference started booing and heckling Mm -hmm. and somebody threatened to get a fire hose and like turn it on him because people were so furious at what he was saying. This is a quote from Bill Moore. The entire story of a secret treaty between the US government and the aliens of exchanges of technology between us and the aliens of battles between the aliens and American armed forces, having implanted hundreds of thousands, if not millions of human beings for the purpose of taking over the world and using us as cattle or slaves came about as a result of the disinformation process. I know because I was in a position to observe much of this process as it unfolded and I was providing regular reports on its effectiveness to some of the very people who were doing it to Paul.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm.
2: We've talked in the past about how information takes on a life of its own, how you can't control information once it starts to circulate. So what if the UFO mythology that we're so familiar with, what if it has its origins with these special agents who were trying to cover up top-secret government experiments.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, and when you look back and you think about the different strategies we've seen the U.S., various branches of the U.S. government use, I mean, it seems like another brilliant arm of it. Like, we have, you know, denial, we have disappearing of people, you know, a whole manuals based on that. And this is like another branch of disinformation as like a different kind of strategy that is really... Effective, as you said, once it's out there, it's you can't control it.
2: Yeah, because the people you're using it against become the very people who are spreading it. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating because I, I think all of us, we genuinely want to know there are UFOs. Mm-hmm. There are a ton of UFOs, and we know this because we've we've read uh, we've read Blue Book. Although uh, this is something that that Lee has been itching to talk about for a while. <laughs> What's the relationship between Blue Book and those U two and SR seventy one flights?
0: Yeah, the the thing is that it does become even more complicated than this because um, it ends up that different branches of the government are doing different things. And this is just, and this has been one of my hobby horses in the podcast previously. The quote unquote the government. Whenever that Mm -hmm. is used as a kind of explanation for something, I get a bit suspicious. And in part, I think about this uh, story, where on the one hand, you have a branch of the United States government who knows that these are secret flights that are happening and is then deliberately spreading disinformation. On the other hand, you have parts of the U.S. government that don't know that these are secret flights, are being confronted with actual observation. And then we have um, Ruppelt is a captain-lieutenant. Captain Ruppelt, who writes this amazing report, he's working on Project Grudge and Blue Book, and, and is trying to understand what it is that people are seeing, worried, in fact, also as a patriot, that these might legitimately be Soviet flyovers that we should actually (laughs) maybe be keeping an eye on. Or even maybe aliens. Or even maybe aliens, right? And so you have a part of the government actively spreading disinformation. You have another part of the government actively trying to figure out what the hell is going on. (laughs) And you have civilians stuck in the middle trying to do their part, but being confronted with data that they just can't make sense of. I think it's a really fascinating web of interests and motivations and intentions that are all pointing in different directions. And, you know, we haven't even talked about this. But there is also, uh, maybe we should talk about it because you had mentioned it in the last podcast, and there is also the potential of foreign governments disinformation getting wrapped up in this stuff too, sure. right? Just mm-hmm. once you have a population who... You know, is getting freaked out about aliens. Meh, yeah. maybe this is Throw fodder for. And I don't know if that's a useful segue for the end of Annie Jacobson's book.
2: Right. So now let's go back to Area 51. <laughs> uh, Annie Jacobson's book is extremely well researched. It's basically one of the reasons the American government had to admit that Area 51 existed. And it is, I find, almost no fault with this book. And then it gets to the last chapter, and something weird happens. Because in the last chapter of Un- this... Unlike
0: all the stuff we've been talking about <laughs> so far.
2: But it, but it's a weirdness that I... It's a weirdness that makes a weird kind of internal logic sense. No. It—it's it, It's like a Cold War weirdness mm-hmm. that it makes as much sense as anything in the Cold War did. But in the last chapter, she argues that what happened at Roswell was that a Soviet remote-controlled flying saucer filled with genetically altered teenagers... Was deliberately crashed in the United States in order to cause panic.
0: Right mm-hmm. now, that might sound crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, and I, I, I wasn't quite as offended by this chapter as Nathan was because was so offended. yeah, Nathan was mad. He's still mad. <laughs> still <It's been> mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's the here is the argument, and I'm not defending it. I'm just giving the argument. It was, and we talked about this. And Elena, I wonder if you were part of the uh, disinformazia. Mm-hmm. Po- you were. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what we had done before you joined. Not much, actually. It was like two podcasts. Yeah. I don't yeah, remember yeah. if that it's was one of followed. them. She's not new anymore. <laughs> she's not. No, never. She was never new. Yeah. I just can't remember if that was one of the two podcasts we hadn't done uh, without her. But okay, so we remember. Let's cut that out. We <laughs> remember disinformazia, and the idea was that Stalin had been really surprised by the effect of the radio broadcast War of the Worlds mm-hmm, to spread right. panic in the United States. Whether it actually spread panic in the United States, I think is worth investigating one of these days because I have heard some conflicting accounts. But the point of this It, it spread some
2: panic. Okay. I think the amount of panic has been overblown. Yeah, but there was some panic.
0: The point of the story is that Stalin thought that mm-hmm. it spread panic. So apparently... Uh, this develops a kind of strategy within the Soviet Union to work on disinformation as a political weapon, which, if it were to work, would be much cheaper than spies or flyover planes or all of this kind of stuff where you have to spend millions, if not billions, of dollars. Here, if you can just convince people of rubbish, then that might just do the trick for you, you know, like if you convince them that their secret service is working against them.
2: Or something like Operation Infection. Right. The Uh, argument that the KGB put forward secretly that the CIA had actually generated HIV as a disease on purpose.
0: That's right. So And and then you start the uh, population, at least a segment of it, starts to really lose faith in... Okay, so... And
2: uh, just to interrupt, I think some of what we're seeing right now In the United States is in part a result of an information war that has been waged against them to the point where now the idea of truth itself Mm -hmm. seems problematic.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, I think just going to say it that I think Trump is uh, a very like uh, one of the most effective uh, results of KGB disinformation. Like, yeah. I really think he's an outgrowth. But we that have to is, do it. That's another that's episode. That's another episode. An mm-hmm. But um, no,
1: what you're saying, you know, this strategy of disinformation, according to that strategy, the logic does fit with this explanation in, you know, the last chapter of the book in a way to spread panic. This would be an event that would get attention that would potentially cause panic. Thank
0: you for bringing it back to the main point, Elena, because I was... Uh, what fear, an aside. Yeah, I feared <laughs> Talking about Trump and everything, um, yeah. But yeah, that's the idea that Stalin, at least that's how I read uh, Annie Jacobson's last chapter, that this was an actual attempt by Stalin to recreate a kind of war of the worlds, but for real this mm-hmm. time, or make it seem mm-hmm. real. And so what they did was... The Roswell incident, apparently, as Nathan points out, was actually potentially balloons or discs attached to balloons sent over from the Soviet Union, meant to look like UFOs, stuffed with, you know, probably like kids from the Gulag or some nightmarish prison Mm -hmm. somewhere in the Soviet Union. Um, Genetically, or maybe just, I mean, I don't say just uh, lightly, but, you know, not... Altered with any kind of DNA knowledge, but just because they were in atrocious conditions, and you know, uh,
1: or surgically or something, who knows exactly. what kind of. We're yeah.
0: talking about Stalin,
1: yeah. After all, so. and
2: also maybe Mangala. Totally, yeah. Who okay. who had es- so, who had escaped Mangala? Of course, being the Nazi doctor, one, one of the worst, which is um, really saying something.
0: So, because it is quite a shock to read that at least one or two people from the early days seemed to be quite serious that something alien landed. And so she tried to make sense of this and presented it in a chapter that, um, to be fair to her, she says, okay, the book has now ended, right here I'm <laughs> Here's going to put chapter. in this yeah, extra chapter yeah. uh, just for your consideration. Worth reading maybe just to help us understand mm-hmm. uh, what you guys think about this.
2: Uh, You guys both make an excellent point that this sort of way to wage information war could be extremely powerful, and it is something that they've done in the past. And obviously, there were so many bizarre plans during the Cold War, especially under Stalin, that this wouldn't have even been the strangest plan they came up with.
0: Even the Americans, weren't weren't we going to, like, irradiate the ozone, set the ozone layer on fire or something? Uh,
2: Here's what I want to say about the last chapter. I disagree with you two, which is rare. Right. Right. So I'm going to disagree with you okay. too. I think that this is an information war, this last chapter, but I um. don't think it was Stalin waging it against the United States. I think it's the American government hmm. waging it against Annie Jacobson. I think they knew that she was putting this book together and they planted some ridiculous information I to see. discredit the book. That's... Boom.
1: Yeah. Boom. That's interesting. Explosion sound. Yeah.
2: I think this is I think this is their gorilla mask. I this think is they threw, their, yeah. I think this that's is, what happened.
1: This hmm. is their their attempt to fit disinformation into her yeah, into her actual accurate information. Yeah. yeah. Because
0: this, this though is This it's is so pres- meta. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's precisely the rootlessness that yeah. I feel like the alien experience sort of sucks you into. It's mm-hmm. like you actually don't know anything anymore because now we have to rely on known liars like yep, Dodie like Dodi. and um Lazar. Lazar. Or we have to rely on the government itself. I mean, it's just you're kind of in an impossible situation. You start to second guess everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've come to us before with stuff, Nathan. I'm pointing I was pointing at Nathan there. A very <laughs> unpodcasty <laughs> thing to do. You. Uh, you, Nathan, have come to us with images, right? From you know, from the military recent ones where you're like, I can't explain what's happening here. Like, yeah. is this a UFO or what? I mean, you suddenly kind of, I can see how you lose yourself in this.
1: Yeah, it's hard to wade through. There's and pieces that are true, pieces you don't know if they're true. There's unexplained things. there jumble. is
0: precedent for people interested in conspiracy theories in an academic way, kind of. <laughs>
2: Going off the rails. Yeah,
0: losing yeah. their footing a little bit.
2: Well, that's what I want to return to at the end. Is This is something that, it's weird, regardless of what podcast we're talking about it's it's amazing how frequently this idea shows up. It happened with Marilyn Monroe. It happened with all the disinformation stuff. How individuals get caught up in these big structures mm-hmm. and what happens to an individual when they get caught up in mm-hmm. something like this. Mm-hmm. And what happened to Benowitz is so tragic and it's so human and it's so understandable. Like, we are very fragile. We're fragile beings. This is something that maybe we should have talked about earlier. When we talk to our students about what we're about to do in class, the beginning of the term, I think we're always very careful to, to tell them like, this could get a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. Learning about this stuff can change the way you see things and it can change the way you see yourself. And there's always the possibility that you could just get lost in mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And this is something that like conspiracy theories are important to study and they're fascinating to study, but it can, it can go wrong. It can go really wrong
1: but
0: hopefully not this time.
1: (laughs) Sad face.